computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, just as this always seemed to go this summer, uh, as soon as we finished recording, the Lakers made an actual move. Not a, we're thinking about this, not a, you know, vague Mark Stein report. The Lakers traded for Patrick Beverly like an hour after we finished recording, which always feels bad. Um... So we didn't get a chance to react to it. So just kind of first impressions. How did you feel? Like take yourself back a week when you learned that uh, Patrick Beverly was joining your favorite team. I was like, whoa, <laughs> good, good move. I don't know. He, he'd been someone we were talking about. I'm like going through my head. I was like, all right, is there another move coming? Is this it? Is this short term? Is this long term? Uh, you know, I, is this a good deal? How does he fit in? Does he start? I, a lot of questions popped into my head, but immediately I knew he was a good, you know, decent three and D player that fits well with this team and a couple different roles that either as a standalone move or as the first move of, you know, preceding some others, I think makes sense. So I'm, I'm happy with the move. Okay. My initial reaction was fuck. Now I have to, <laughs> Hope for this man's success. Um, Tim, can I just say something? And again, this view only reflects me, not of of Tim or the whole Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. Um, Patrick Beverly fucking sucks, like, as a person. Okay. I, I don't like the uh, public image Patrick Beverly has... Um, carefully constructed for himself over the last uh, 10 years. I guess that's a better way to put it. I don't know him as a man. I know what he shows us and I don't like it. He's kind of a dirty prick. Get under your skin, which by itself is nothing wrong, but I feel like he crosses the line a little too too often for my taste. And I, um, yeah, just another reason for like other fans and, NBA casuals to hate the Lakers. <laughs> but I get it. He's I one of those guys that that's you, over you here. You want on your team, not on the other team. Okay. I've heard that before. I, I personally would be fine without him on my team. But okay. Over <laughs> here is, is okay. that. That's over here. And uh, over mm-hmm. on my other side is, wow, this does make sense on the basketball court, right? This is a move that the Lakers, like, good three-point shooter. Lots of spot ups, sure, with pretty good quality over the years because that's been his role for a while. Yep. Good, good point of attack defense, I think overrated, but still good. And I'm curious mm-hmm. to ask you about the the, the data um, coming up here. But uh, it makes sense for this team construction and how a low usage spot up defensive, you know, point of attack defender is another piece that this Lakers team added while what Jovan Buha was saying while sending out two guys who are maybe on the fringe of the Lakers rotation in Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. So as a value play, how do you see this exchange? Yeah. You're immediately bringing in a guy that 
should be part of the rotation and may very well even start. And you're removing two guys that from at least what I was anticipating, I don't know what the Lakers were thinking, but Jovan has a better sense for that. I didn't, they were guys I didn't have in the rotation. Like it was, all right, well, Johnson could make it if he like beats out a couple guys at camp, but knowing what we know, I wouldn't pencil him into the rotation to start with things. And then THT, we know a talented guy is still young, is growing, but was just a horrible fit for, for this Lakers team. So in that sense, you're creating something out of nothing almost in terms of like rotational value. So I, you know, you're, it's like finding, it's not quite like finding free money. It's not like you just signed a random guy for the minute and he panned out really well, but you're creating something in the rotation out of, you know, sending out two guys that to you didn't mean a whole lot in terms of winning this year. Absolutely. Especially considering there's no draft compensation attached to this. Um, I don't believe there's any cash considerations reported, anything like that. Uh, and actually, it could have been a one for one swap. I think I saw Pincus saying THT's contract is only like $75,000 off from being able to be swapped straight up for Patrick Beverly. Um, but get, let's get some perspective here, Tim. There's a lot of Lakers fans who are upset that, you know, they shipped out Stanley Johnson. They shipped out another, you know, probably their last young piece from this last few years of, of accruing what assets you could. But Stanley Johnson was, wasn't in the NBA like 10 months ago, right? He was mm-hmm. a G League guy. Uh, and he played pretty well for the team, but I think that was because the Lakers didn't have a a substitute in his position and players of that ilk on any team when you're the only guy you're going to make a positive impact um, so at THC like all all the best to him um, he's still only 21 I understand it just by the nature of what he is as a player uh, ball dominant wing guard who can't shoot spot up or play defense it's it's not a match on a LeBron James team in uh, unless he can be a six man scoring punch off the bench, get you 10 to 15 points in an efficient way um, while LeBron's not on the court, that guy goes away in the playoffs. That guy's not going to make as much of a difference as he would in the regular season. So what? Yeah, yeah he's 21. The, he's, the Lakers do free up some cap space because he has you know, another year after this, I think, uh, as a player option. And I, I don't know. I best, like I said, best to THT, but I don't know. I was pretty out on THT in the short near term, basically because of his, his, uh, lack of LeBron symbiosis. Yeah. And I mean, again, we don't dislike either of the two guys that went out. They've had really good moments for this team. I think THT added a, a good, you know, he added some value during that title run and short little burst. And Stanley Johnson was someone that it, I, I, you know, genuinely really enjoyed seeing the energy he brought to the team and the effort he brought and some of the little things he did as a fringe talent guy in the NBA. He had to really make up, make it up, make up for it with that effort and doing some of those little things. And, you know, in a tough spot as an undersized like four, basically for this team at points last season, you know, he, he, you know, brought it and it was enough to be a breath, breath of fresh air on that team. But if we're set, you know, resetting our standards to, we want this team to contend, neither of these two players are players that will be in a starting lineup for this team. 
and neither of these two players will be in a, uh, a closing lineup for this team. And I think you can really easily make the case that Pat Beverly can both start and close for this Lakers team. And if you can stick him alongside Austin Reeves, you've got a pretty darn good defensive backcourt. And with the spacing that he'll be able to provide and, you know, just some ball handling, not an excellent, you know, high volume on ball guy, but he can do some ball handling and a little bit of playmaking as well. That helps, you know, lighten the load on LeBron in a way. So I, I, I like this grab and I think this Lakers team immediately is better. Just how much better? Eh, we're not quite at contender status yet, but it's a, it's a move that very clearly makes the team better. It does. There is one thing that concerns me but before we kind of talk more specifically about Patrick Beverly and how he could fit on this team. Um, I want to ask you again about this team construction, because outside of LeBron and AD, my guy, who are our three and fours that backups? So you've got to have JTA, who's kind of more of a three, be your backup four. You'll have Troy Brown Jr., who's Size-wise, maybe more of a backup two player, backup three. And that's kind of how you're filling out that wing depth, right? I, I ask because obviously I know those guys are on the roster. It's just the one position I feel like the Lakers needed the most was a quality wing. I don't know if a quality like one or two defender, spot up, defense guy was above a wing for like swing wing player um, in terms of adding to this roster. Obviously it's, it's September. It's the roster isn't complete yet, but mm-hmm. it, I don't know. I don't know. It's, and again, I actually think the Lakers got good value from this trade. Uh, all things considered with THT's lack of, um, lack of uh, synergy with the, the, this year's roster. But I, I mean, Pat Bev's a good spot up shooter, but he's not like a high volume gravity shooter. I guess I'll ask mm-hmm. you later. Curious what his gravity is, but I'm guessing yeah. it's not amazing. Yeah, it's it's not particularly good. We have uh, so B ball index just recently. I think since the last time we re- released a pod, we've released an on ball gravity metric that estimates the degree to which players when they have the ball in their hands are manipulating the defense um you know think about are, are they being double teamed are they being picked up at as soon as they cross half court or are they guys you sag you're sagging off of are they guys that you're going over or under ball screens against are you blitzing to like get the ball out of their hands or are you just like in drop coverage you know you know do what you're going to do we're not you know worried about the ball being in your hands as much that sort of stuff whether it's a, a post player or a ball handler getting a sense of what their on-ball gravity looks like. And guys like Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, LeBron, uh, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Kyrie Irving, those are guys with high on-ball gravity. Among all on-ball garden wing players from an offensive role standpoint, the guy with the lowest on-ball gravity among them that played real minutes last season was Pat Beverly. He he, Technically, he's an on-ball guy, but he's not one of the ones that's really bending the defense with what he does on-ball. Off-ball, we're actually about to release this in a couple hours today. Um, I haven't yet given a final look of the data, but off-ball, his gravity is fine. It's not fantastic. And part of that is because he's been a player, and you mentioned this earlier, for a couple of years, he's put up decent percentages. He's done so on pretty high shot quality on his threes. And when we look at this most recent season, he had 
uh, among, let's see who am I comparing to here. So compared to all starting caliber players, uh, or all starters, I should say, um, his three-point shot making was an F. <laughs> his catch and shoot three-point shot making was a C plus. His pull-up three-point shot making was an F. So that that pull the lack of a pull-up game contributes to his lack of on-ball gravity, but he's a decent off-ball catch and shoot guy. He's not gonna, you know, not fantastic, but if you give him good quality and the Lakers will, he'll be able to put up some good percentages. So I, I think in that sense, he does add that kind of value. Um, and I think that's a good fit along, you know, with LeBron James. And I think this is kind of what we're hoping Reeves can kind of provide as well, where it's that off-ball shooting, maybe not as much. He can do some of the ball handling, but it's not that he's an on-ball scoring threat as much as that he's a good, like, off-ball scoring threat in theory. And Beverly's been one of those guys. All right, let's just do this already. Let's, let's rip the bandaid <laughs> off. Are we going to talk about how he's fooling people? No, Papa does trick you all, though. I mean, Russ was not wrong. Um, yeah, he's not wrong. You- he's not wrong. Acti- don't, well, it's that wooden quote, don't mistake activity for achievement. Yeah. Papa's a high-activity defender. He's uh, in the Avery Bradley mold, I guess you could say. He's like the opposite of Austin Reeves as a perimeter defender in terms of like Austin stays in front and just kind of suppresses you. Pat Beverly's in your face, going for steals, and he's been a very, very high-level defensive playmaker. Uh, A-plus pickpocket rating, A-minus passing lane defense um, compared to all starting players. Really, really good there. When you compare him with starting point-of-attack defenders, his on-ball defense grade's a D-minus. His ball screen navigation's an F. So <laughs> he he's either getting a turnover or he's getting burnt a lot of times. And that's not great, I'd say. Uh, he, if you compare him to like all players, those, those values look a bit better. But he's been someone that for a good bit now might have been tricking people in terms of his perimeter defense being more, more of the like eye-catching, you know, playmaking types of things more so than just like solid on-ball defense. Now, as a rotating player, he's good. As a rebounder, he's good as a guard. Um, in terms of his interior defense for a guard – He's, he's pretty good. So he adds a lot of value in ways that aren't traditional for a point guard defender. And that is how overall his defensive impact ends up being solid, um, ends up with an A minus D LeBron compared to uh, starting point of attack defender. So he's still a good defender, just not quite exactly in the way that I think his reputation holds up. So that's an interesting thing that you have to approach in a nuanced way because in some ways he's a little fraudulent, but he makes up for it in other ways that are, uh, you know, people tend to pay a little bit less attention to. Yeah. Um, I think the, the other impact of Pat Beverly also, hold on. I pulled up this quote, Tim, I have to get this first. Don't mistake activity for achievement to produce results. Tasks must be well-organized and properly executed. Otherwise it's no different from children running around the playground. Everybody's doing something, but nothing is being done. Lots of activity, (laughs) no achievement. Pat Bev is a child on a playground sometimes, but if I, if you force me to be fair and say something good about Pat Bev, um, I do think he exhibits like a defensive leadership in, and it probably is kind of toxic, kind of toxic. If you're working with him, the intensity, the, the, the disrespect, the casual kind of, you know, 
just insanity he brings. Mm-hmm. It can be contagious, but I'm more talking about those rotations. Those, like, look at Minnesota's defense. So this is per cleaning the glass, and granted, is one of many, you know, impacts on this. Right, uh, this is not only a Pat Bev thing, but they went from uh, 116.1 points per hundred possessions in 2021, 28th. They went from that to 13th, 111.6. That's that's a big, big jump that I think you can attribute at least in some part to Patrick Beverly and probably his veteran leadership. I, I want to say that who the fuck listens to Pat Bev? This dude's a, tr- a clown. And that's what I personally believe. <laughs> but you know what? I bet that's just kind of because I'm petty and not mm-hmm. in the room. You watch the film, man. He he makes things happen on defense. He creates plays. He's a defensive playmaker. He gambles a lot, and that can be, lead to um, like a negative defensive culture. If you're trying to preach all these things and then gambling yourself, you know, there's some hypocrisy there. I I think he will make a, a marked impact on on their defense and their defensive leadership. Yeah, I, I think he'll be helpful there. He brings in intensity. That's nice. He communicates pretty well. Um, you'll have guys who are, you know, picking up full court and on ball and, and causing problems, and that's it. He's one of those guys that does that, but then also is doing the little things when it comes to rotating and defending the interior, which is for a guard, um, is rebounding. Like he's he brings a toughness to him and a competitiveness and a – uh, degree of communication that I think will be really helpful for, you know, holding his teammates accountable, which is something that we've been wanting to see more from with this team. That's been a big theme from last season is like, there's more here than what we've seen from these guys. They need to be held accountable a bit more and you can, you can get more out of them. So I think he contributes to that defensively. And then I think he also, Tom is someone that offensively will be a big help. I think it'll be a help to Kendrick Nunn, to Austin Reeves, to Russell Westbrook, by defending those guys in practice and being one of those guys, you know, in scrimmages, in, in those pickup games, bringing that intensity, harassing them on ball and forcing guys like Austin Reeves, who might be taking on a little bit more point guard responsibility this year. Kendrick Nunn, who, you know, fingers crossed will be healthy and will be getting back to contributing to winning basketball for the first time in a couple of seasons. He'll be bringing uh, you know, he'll be challenging them day in and day out. And that's the kind of, you know, challenge that you want to see with your with your team when it comes to practices that'll enable them to, you know, raise their bar. You want the defense to challenge the offense. You want the offense to challenge the defense. When you go into practice and your defense is horrific, you know, it's easy to say, oh, the offense is looking good, but it's because the defense isn't any good in practice. This is a team that I think has the offensive, you know, f- some offensive firepower, also has some defensive competitors. And Beverly is one of those guys that will help raise the bar behind the scenes. And I think that can directly, you know, aid some of the the young guards on this team as they're, you know, you know, continuing to grow and, and you know, br- ramp up their game a step. Can I be a sicko for a minute? Go for it. That's always welcome here. Okay. So we talked a lot about the defensive upside of a Miles Turner, Buddy Heald team that made mm-hmm. that trade. Well, it's it's higher with Patrick Beverly, Tim. It's higher with Patrick Beverly s- slotted in that one with 
maybe Buddy, maybe Austin Reeves, maybe both. We want, you know, swing Turner on or off, put AD at the five. It gives you a lot of defensive versatility. And a Patrick Beverly, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Miles Turner uh, lineup is excites me in ways that um, I shouldn't describe. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you in, in most of uh, most of the ways you described, I'd say. Uh, yeah, no, no, he's it, it raises that upside. It adds another good defensive piece to this group. It adds a good off-ball offensive piece to this group. And whether he's in the game, Austin's in the game, or they're both in the game, you're going to have some good uh, defense from your backcourt. I think you know it, w- this makes it easier to stomach if none doesn't end up being healthy immediately. Again, I have no info to say he will or won't, mm-hmm. but you know it, that's still a question mark until we get more info, we get an update there. So this helps. In that instance, if you send Russ home, this helps because you now have another body that can take up minutes and, and you know, be productive in minutes. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I see the upside being higher. Stick him with healed and have Turner in there, AD and LeBron. Like, that's a great defensive lineup. Um, and, and I think Buddy Heald for as much crap as he gets publicly whenever we're talking about, you know, oh, they can add this guy or that guy. Oh, well, he's bad at defense. Every single one of these Utah Jazz players are bad at defense. The people are looking to trade. Evan Fournier is bad at defense. Like all of these shooters, most of them are really bad at defense. This is an infrastructure that can make that work if you bring in Turner and you have that kind of setup. Even without a true wing stopper on this team, uh, through the backcourt and the front court being really good, you can get by without one of those guys who maybe is elite at you know, defending wings on ball. And and I think that's okay. And another piece of uh, Heald's defense that I was looking into um, is how has his impact been defensively based on like what he's been asked to do? We, you know, our different roles at B-Ball Index. We also have info on how often they're guarding different positions. We saw a season where Buddy Heald was asked to be a wing stopper. That's a dumb idea. He was horrific at that. We saw a couple seasons where he was asked to guard sh- uh, small forwards. He's 6'4". <laughs> When he was primarily asked to guard small forwards, he was really bad at those years. If you set those years off to one side and aggregate the data, he was as negatively defensive. uh, He had as negative of a defensive impact as Carmelo Anthony this past season. That's that's really bad. That really hurts you. If you then look, uh, you know, throw those years out and look only at the years he wasn't asked to be a wing stopper and was asked to to guard twos, some one, some three, but primarily uh, shooting guards. His defensive impact was better than Malik Monk's last year, and it was at a more palatable level. It's not good. I'm not saying it's good, but it's not horrendous. And he's a decent chaser. He can do some things on ball. There's stuff that he's able to do. He's still weak, but he's good enough that I'm less worried about his defense than I was a day or a week ago or a month ago, now that I've dug in and, and gotten even a better sense of what that context looks like. It's, you know, role really matters, context really matters. The Lakers can give him exactly the role to make the most of him. And we've seen very tangibly different results in his play based on that. Um, so I think that's just another another way that my view of the upside defensively of, of if the Lakers make that Pacers trade is, is aided by Beverly. And then it's even a, a notch higher that I'm digging into Heald's game a bit more. So I want to kind of ask you a little bit more about Beverly's data and where you see he's he is in a unique player at at his size he can often guard up we obviously saw 
them put him on LeBron when he was in uh, in L.A. with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, like what does his data look like against switches and like how far does that extend? Because he may be asked to guard a lot bigger guys than he has the last few years out of necessity on this team alone. Yeah, that's a great question. I uh, Something that we're working on at B-Ball Index is getting uh, an on-ball defense metric set up based on if you're guarding guards, wings, or bigs. Um, so that's in the works. But what I can tell you in the meantime is that, you know, he's a point guard, but for a point guard, he's defending wings and bigs way more than just about anybody else. Um, and, and that shines through in the data. We see it as well in his defensive positional versatility, which is an A compared to rotation guards. It's an A compared to rotation point of attack defenders. The, the time he spends guarding threes, fours, and fives is higher than almost all point of attack defenders. So he, as for as much as he, his rotation is on ball guarding guards, he'll do more of that other stuff. He can be switchy to a degree. It's, you know, obviously he's, how tall is he? Pat Beverly. I think that's that's his biggest limitation. He's 6'1". So that's a limitation. That's a real limitation. But he does a good job of getting up in guys' bodies and making them uncomfortable. And in a way that can disrupt some of those players who are, you know, tend to be more of, you know, operating at the the second and third levels that, that want to... Uh, you know, be taking, you know, pull-up shots. He's in your space and makes it, when he's quicker than you, it makes it hard to really operate there. You're still probably taller than him, so you might be able to get a shot off, but he'll be in great position to contest. One thing with his defense I do want to point out is that he commits a lot of fouls. And I was just going to ask that what his through. foul rate was. <laughs> yep, yep. He's got, he's got an F in terms of his fouls committed per 75 possessions. Uh, he's very often in foul trouble. So that is something that, is worth noting with this and I would imagine would go up uh, right. when he's guarding players that are a bit beyond what his physical size dictates he, he should be guarding. So defensively, how do the Lakers, yeah, bridge that gap of trying to give him more maybe than he, he <laughs> maybe has done in the past out of necessity while trying to set him up defensively uh, in a team construction that makes sense and, you know, playing him with Anthony Davis and LeBron, I think you're going to have three very high IQ defensive players and you, you know, are able to kind of rotate a couple guys in and out of the starting or closing lineup around that. I think Austin Reeves is another one that's easy plug and play next to him. Um, you know, it's the question kind of becomes offensively. Can those guys spot up and, and knock down threes. Right. But defensively mm-hmm. is this, is this a a tool that can unlock other players and you know the way we've spoken about other guys like turner or ad um how how can his positives on defense buy you more like kind of value from elsewhere i guess yeah i would say that the type of on-ball pressure he can get can help disrupt teams that are trying to do stuff off ball. Um, if you're not able to make a, a pass at the right time, it makes it easier to have guys who are worse navigating off ball screens away from the ball. Um, it makes it harder to throw lobs if he's right in your face. So things like that can help make up for deficits of players around him. I think the degree to which he's able to switch, even for a guy his size, unlocks a bit of scheme versatility. And I would say that his abilities as a rotator, as a rebounder, um, taking charges 
and uh, and, and he's pretty he's pretty high in terms of fouls drawn per seventy five possessions. And for someone who's not really drawing many of those fouls offensively, it's all the defensive fouls that or he's he's drawing offensive fouls while he's on defense, which is very different from generally how we see players high in this metric. Usually it's, you know, a great offensive player who is, you know, making the defense commit fouls. He's he's, you know, reversed to that. So I think in a lot of ways, he's a really good off ball defender to the point that. I'd be willing to throw some chaser minutes at him and see what that looks like. Let him be an off-ball guard defender that adds value in the ways he adds value. He can do some of the on-ball stuff. I think he'd be really solid off the bench starting. I think he'd be okay as well. So I see a lot of versatility in terms of how the team can use him, whether it's you know starting off the bench as a one, as a two defender, um, switching a bit, or just you know fighting around screens. He'll communicate a good bit. So I don't know if it unlocks any single other defender specifically to me, but it, it, it gives the Lakers options, I think. Scheme and it wise, allows them it to kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I, I yes, Scheme I'd agree wise, with that. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then just, I mean, he's, he's a good defender. So yeah. it makes it easier to play a poor defender alongside him and let him kind of, you know, try to shoulder the weight on ball huh. if you have a Buddy Heald or a Malik huh. Easily or whoever as your two. It's funny you say that, Tim. Because I was just about to transition into, um, am I stupid? Because... <laughs> New segment here at Lakers yes. Exceptionalism. Am I stupid? No, this is just anytime I ask a question. No, am I stupid, Tim? Because people with basketball jobs are suggesting that Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook will play together. Pe- people being paid for basketball. Mm. What? It te- Am I stupid? That sounds like my dumbass knows that's a bad idea. Uh, on court or Put, uh, set, off court, but on court. <laughs> let's pretend they're best friends. Okay, okay. In the whole that's world. Mm-hmm. On court. This yeah. make, this doesn't make sense. Well, so the challenge becomes, so Beverly can be your point of attack. What do you do with Russ? What's his job? Where does he defend? That's, that's the problem. Because if, the ways I look at this are, if 80's at the four and LeBron's at the three, I don't want LeBron guarding guards. Russ has to guard guards. <laughs> we're not we're not running three guard lineups like the Lakers did a lot last year. If you look at their most used lineups, there are a lot of three guard lineups. They weren't good defensively, but they enabled Russ to go guard a wing because they had you know Malik Monk playing the three that can go guard a, a shooting guard. That's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. But with more like normal roster construction, lineup construction, Russ can't go hide on some of those maybe just off-ball, stationary shooter kinds of guys. Um, so he's he's going to have to be a chaser. He's going to have to step up and be a, a competent on-ball, off-ball defender as a guard, which is challenging to me. Or if AD's at the five, let's say Bron's at the four, and then maybe Russ can defend the other teams. Maybe they have a spot-up shooting three or an athletic finishing three, and then the Lakers have, gosh, Troy Brown Jr., who offensively can be an off-ball shooter as a three and then defensively can slide up and play the two. I think that can work. Uh, and and I think that's what it's going to have to look like for this team. So, it, it, so I don't think you're crazy, but at the same time, I don't, it doesn't, it's not magically going to be a whole lot better. 
just because Russ still needs to defend. This is all still going to come down to can Ham and the coaching staff get Russ to defend and rotate and do things at a competent level because that's the biggest issue here. It's not a skill set fit thing as much as it is like he needs to defend, <laughs> whether it's Beverly or Austin Reeves or pick whoever you want. Kendrick Nunn next to Russ. Russ needs to defend. Well, he's got genie support. That's for sure. Hmm. Uh, let's take That's a quick break, team, Tim. Right? I, I'm I'm at a loss. So let's take a break, and I'm going to ask you a couple more questions about Beverly, and then there's this big uh, this big trade this week in the NBA that you know adjacently affects the Lakers. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, and we are back, Tim. Before the break, I referenced Jeannie, Jeannie Buss. I think it was Sam Amick who was talking to her in that interview. And she said something about like Russ being the best player last year and <laughs> later clarified to make sure that she was saying most consistent. Via text, um, yeah. Like way, way after he was like, are you <laughs> sure you want us to publish this? Because this is not going to go well. <laughs> Oh man, the PR job, the the Lakers documentary, the you know Darvin Ham, uh, Pat Bevin, Russ Westbrook has been texting. They're in contact. the The spin is like I'm I'm tilting. I'm spinning and tilting <laughs> all at the same time. It's <clears throat> all bad, frankly, and I feel like gaslit by people on Twitter saying that we need to trade our 
first round picks from Mike fucking Conley. Um, so that all that said, I'm sorry. Like I said before the break, I'm like tilting into oblivion uh, after this week of and it's not even the Pat Bev trade. I was, you know, I reconciled my feelings on him. It's a solid trade for the Lakers. Makes sense. The rest of the shit that happened this week, Tim, with Donovan Mitchell being traded, uh, not to the Knicks, the Lakers not having an opportunity to get in on a three-way deal uh, with that. Sure, it's still possible that the Lakers attach picks to Russell Westbrook for, yeah, Boyan Bogdanovich and what? Evan Fortier. Mike Conley, Evan Fortier. Well, oh, oh you're talking about what would have happened or what still can't happen? Uh, either way. I like. So, I feel like people talking about like, okay, well, you know, uh, the, the, the next package is off the table. Let's get, let's get Mike Conley in here. Mm. And I, I just want to yell and scream into the void. Um, it's bad. Buddy, you, you can't defend. Let's go get Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get Bojan Bogdanovic. I, yeah, I. So the the three teamer that was discussed that wasn't like finalized or anything. Um, heard from a, a Knicks source and a Lakers source that it was they're talking about it, but like it wasn't final. The Lakers would have ended up with Evan Fournier, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Cam Reddish. And I, I mean, they're better for, after for that. both picks. Uh, I believe it was for. Well, I don't. I don't. I didn't get that part. Because <laughs> uh, like one. That's a key piece. <laughs> one. I'm like eh, two is a hard fuck now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but one is it's you Evan Fournier. Like, oh, he, this man cannot play in a big basketball game in the NBA. He just he can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think what this does tell us, though, is if the Lakers were willing to do that deal, they're willing to take on long-term money because Evan Fournier and Buddy Heald have, like, the same contract and the same limitations also. So I I think it's interesting info. It helps – even though it didn't happen, it helps us learn something. But then pivoting to, like, what happens now, to your point, a lot of the trades I see people throwing out either make no sense. They're like, okay, we'll take all of these players for – one first round pick. No, Utah wants more. Utah wants more. Utah wants two first round picks. And even if you can't, like, and if the price is two first round picks, I don't know how this in any way stacks up with the Indiana Pacers deal. Um, but like looking at these dudes, I pulled their data up, Tom. It's like, it's player after player is like F matchup difficulty and then also really crappy defensive grades. Like guarding nobody, but then also really bad at guarding nobody. And that's not going to work. This is these are this is the crew that made people think Rudy Gobert is a really bad defender because every other play someone was getting blown by easily without the offense running anything at all, and Gobert's needing to rotate you know forty feet left and right to try to stop everything. That that's the group you want to bring over to LA. Um, like we just don't have the infrastructure for that. That's not going to work. AD can't you can't run the offense through AD and then have AD try to defend for some of these guys who can't defend anything. Um, and and so that's concerning to me. I uh, feel like with how this is trending, th- this still kind of points Pacers because if Utah does really want two first round picks or something comparable to what the Pacers are asking for, that's clearly to me the better deal. But well, uh, okay. I what's the back none now then? Is it Utah? Because that sucks. It's markedly different. It's it's yeah. considerably worse, right? It's considerably worse. If it's uh, that's why I wanted to bring it up as pieces start to fall off the table, right? 
Kyrie, his contract situation hasn't changed, but effectively it seems like he's staying in Brooklyn for the next year. Right. With, with mm-hmm. the developments that have happened. So this is what happens as teams approach training camp. They'll start the season. The, you know, trades will be off the table for a month or two, and then they'll start opening things up as they get more information about where their team is. Right. But in the meantime, deals only fall off the table uh, at this time of the year. They don't get added to the table very often. Yeah, like we know who the players are. There isn't a GM who's been on vacation for two months and was like, oh, oh, I guess we should try to trade some of these guys. Like, like we know what's happening. Um, I think at this point, the only team you might be able to see get in the mix might be Charlotte. And even then, it would be kind of weird timing for that. So that would need to be something driven by, you know, suddenly, you know, LaMelo's people are very unhappy and they're able to, you know, press the team enough that they do something about it. But I don't think... Michael Jordan just suddenly has decided, oh, you know what? We should start making moves. It, it, it didn't, they didn't need to take months to figure out, okay, with Steve Clifford in place, now we need to start making decisions. Um, so, I, yeah, I, the, the pieces are – like the options are the options, and the Lakers, I think this is kind of the best we're looking at. Or if not, to your point, the Batna might be run it back or trade one first-round pick to whatever Utah will give you for one first-round pick. And – That'll make the team better. I don't think it'll make the team better enough. So that's where the hard decision needs to be made is, are you willing to just get a little bit better with one first rounder or hold on to your assets, run it back, punt the season, see what you can do next year? Unbelievable. We're talking about punting a season with LeBron James, 37 year old season. Um, it's yeah, it's, it feels bad. feels bad. But mm-hmm. if you're talking about punting a season to set yourself up, it's it rarely goes the way you want it to. It, it, it doesn't like, you know, the Golden State Warriors like two year downslide went about as well as they wanted to. And they still like fucked up all their draft picks. <laughs> yeah. yeah they could have Lamelo ball instead of james wiseman you know like i think they've done terribly but they have missed a couple of those picks and that's mm-hmm. about as best case scenario is that can happen right um yeah it you just you can't sacrifice these years and that's why i think you and i have been so on the indiana trade from when it was reported like does it make them the championship favorite? No, but it makes them closer than no. any other deal realistically could. And mm-hmm. if you don't get as realistically close with whatever you have, what's what's the point? Championships are forever. Draft picks are going to become the 23rd pick, the 15th pick, hell, the 7th <laughs> pick. Like the chances these guys end up hitting are so small. You know what I mean? Maybe in 2029, the Lakers are awful again and it's a top three pick but if you have a championship and another team has your first overall pick that's why you get the first overall pick and and Mm -hmm. mortgage that into a future where you can win a championship because that is the end goal not yeah you know saving face and and being prideful Right. The goal is to win. The goal is for us to, you know, enjoy this, win, be happy. And if you trade the picks, you give it a real shot now and 
you have a better team in the short term. If you can get Miles Turner to resign, that's I think if you can get Miles Turner to resign, this is a great trade for two first round picks. Um, if he doesn't resign, it's still okay. This is only a great trade if like we truly are able to compete this year with some health. I think the Lakers, you know, give it a real good shot. They won't be the favorites, like you said, but they'll have a chance. Um, if you don't trade the picks, you are accepting we're going to be bad now. And then your payoff is that years from now, we're still really bad mm -hmm. <laughs> to the point where we're able to get a good pick so that we get an 18-year-old so that maybe, you know, another four or five years from then, we'll be able to have a really good player. So this is like a 10-year punt. <laughs> like, yeah. well, yeah, well, to be fair, Tim, like, the Lakers would trade that 18 year old for somebody who's good right <laughs> that's, now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They'd, they'd sign somebody and trade him for the second guy or, you know, yeah. because yeah, that's because they're not going to keep this pick anyway. That's a, actually, that's a good point. <laughs> right, this right. Is, that's not really what this is about. It, this is the last chance they have to trade right now. Um, whether it's two years or four years from now or next year, like they're going to probably end up trading these picks anyway. It's just about like, what's the best haul you can get for them. Um, cause these are really the only piece the, the team doesn't have dudes under contract. I think it's yeah. a bunch of one year. So this is what they have to work with today, next week, next month, next year. Um, in, until they start drafting guys and keeping them or signing free agents to longer term deals, you don't have anything to make moves with other than this. And if the Lakers are continue to, will continue to be a, you know, try to rebuild quick, try to grab stars, try to trade for stars, they're going to need these picks. Um, so it's, it's about, will you be able to get something better for these two first round picks? Um, cause you're, you're, you're probably not going to keep them and, and draft a player with them and keep that player ultimately. And yeah, God, I just remembered about Lonnie Walker too. I just, just what this is, is like what players that just oh. entirely forgot. It's like, mm -hmm. I just like put him out of my mind. Anyway, this is, he's not going off the rails here. Like <laughs> that's, a, we just, we just threw away an MLE, I think. So I, yeah, but you know, clutch. So that's fine. Mm. Um, other things I wanted to briefly go over Tim were, um, I don't know, just the idea that if this does go badly, uh, the positive is Patrick Beverly could be moved for some kind of future compensation, whether it's second round picks or a young development player or something like that. If this goes really mm -hmm. bad, you can move on from Patrick Beverly. If for whatever chemistry reasons don't work out, you can combine Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn for about $20 million, $23 million player. So they've raised their kind of amount that they could get back. But who who, who would that be, right? Yeah, that player is going to be another Buddy Heald kind of guy who's overpaid, who... Well, a team is trying to get off of long-term bad money for it. it's, it's an option. It's not okay. a closed door, right? Like Patrick Beverly mm -hmm. doesn't mm -hmm. have zero value. The oh, way yeah. I, yeah, I think I agree. THT's value was quite, you know, sh shrank quite a bit over the last year or two. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were able to get him off of a team selling off parts. Right. Yeah. So they've been trying to trade him away for a bit here. Right. Like they, they've been, they were willing to take less than Pat Beverly to get off of him. Like this, this guy wasn't part of the team's future from right. their perspective. Right. And so a year they and at least got ago, a guy that can help him. And if it doesn't pan out. Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, the KCP would have had to go out there as well. I mean, it, but still it's, they, 
didn't want to include THT in the Lowry deal. And mm-hmm. I don't think that makes that 21 team a championship favorite either. Um, it's quite hard to beat the the Bucks that year. They were pretty dominant, but still it's, you know, all these little, all these little moves you can criticize in a vacuum and they do all connect to each other when, Losing Alex Caruso turns into keeping THT turns into Patrick Beverly. Mm-hmm. That, that's so, just the downgrade. So with the team as it is now, if no trade comes, they should give it a try with Russ, right? Like I don't think sending him home immediately gives you the optimal chance to win a title. You have to take that risk that he's able to buy in and like you can make something happen. Maybe you figure that out after like a week of preseason. Maybe you figure that out 10 games into the year. But they've got to give it a try. The upside is higher giving it a try. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, let's say they start out by having Russ be the starter. I think I think if we think iter- iter- iteratively of what it'll look like to start and sending him home and what the steps would be, he'll probably you know they'll begin with him starting. At some point, they'll try him off the bench, and if it's not working, then they'll say just go home. Um, if he's starting, Braun starting, AD starting. Who else are you starting with them? I think Thomas Bryant at this point, he's been popping in workouts. You've got the spacing there, with the theoretical spacing there with him a bit more than Damian Jones. And then who are you starting in the backcourt next to Russell Westbrook? Are you starting Beverly or would you start Austin Reeves? I I think right now it's probably Reeves. Um, And then Beverly is that that Russ alt, depending on matchup. Again, if like you can have Russ with a shorter leash when you have a substitute who can kind of make the rest of the pieces make more sense on both sides, of the, both sides of the court. Right. Um, I think Austin Reeves can mm-hmm. do a decent job in the chaser role. You know, he's going to be outmatched physically a lot, and that's something he's going to have to get used to. But with great help defenders around him, I think he can survive. Um, if if that that shot keeps falling and even a little bit of attack a closeout secondary playmaking is going to be helpful um, when you have a big spacing the floor and a big rim running and then, you know, Anthony Davis kind of floating in the in between. There's going to be opportunities for those guys. Um, and, and with a little bit more playmaking from Reeves, I think is what kind of separates him. And obviously the defense, but he's, a, you know, Jovan Buha also reported about Reeves and, and Bryant were the two kind of favorites to start and who have stood out so far in the summer workouts. But you have Kendrick Nunn, you have Lonnie Walker, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it, like, where do these guys fit in with, with I think Russ or without? Lonnie's the odd man out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. So I see... None defensively, he could play one or two. Offensively, he can play the one, but he's really more of a, uh, a two. He doesn't quite have the playmaking to be a point guard. Reeves, I think, kind of similar. Beverly, kind of similar. Like you've got some versatility defensively, offensively. None of the three of them are like true lead ball handler playmakers, but are good. Off ball guys can attack a closeout and have varying degrees of like secondary playmaking among them. Russ, as a defensively, I don't want him at the point of attack. Offensively, like you got to lean into his playmaking, I guess. Um, so I, I, I'd start Reeves. 
this is based on the belief that his uh, three-point shot is is going to be where we saw it for portions of the season. But, uh, you know, not with the slump, he ended up, you know, finishing the season not so hot. But I, I'd start there, but I think it's probably close. I think this will be a real camp battle. Um, right now we're hearing things from workouts. Once we get the team together, I think that's when you really start to figure out that pecking order. So I think there's going to be a real Reeves versus Beverly battle. I think I'd prefer Reeves, but I can see both working and I can understand Beverly getting the start. Um, but you never know. I don't, we don't really quite know Durbin Ham's tendencies when it comes to this kind of stuff. If it were Frank Vogel, I'm going to say Pat Beverly starting, uh, because he does all the things Vogel likes and his, some of his weaknesses are kind of Vogel's blind spots and he's the vet. But with him, we don't, we don't quite know, but I think this will be a real battle. It'll be interesting because they're very different styles of perimeter defender. Offensively, they'll bring similar things, but I, I think I'm betting more on a Reeves jump and, and with Beverly probably taking a little bit of a step back with his age as well. So, you know, Lots to, to figure out. We don't quite have that Stan Johnson versus JTA battle anymore because he's out of town. Right. We don't have THT versus guys anymore. He's out of town. Lonnie Walker might be the odd man out here in the backcourt, which is a real shame because you just invested money in him. Um, so I'd like to see him get a shot, but it's tough to see how that defense really fits in. Maybe he ends up playing more wing minutes and he's just a really, 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 really small three, which I don't like the idea of, but he's got some length. So I don't know. They've got a lot to figure out, but I'm... It's good to hear Brian and Reeves are popping off in workouts. I want to see if those if that news continues once they're playing against their teammates in like 5v5 right. rather than just kind of like summer runs. And an underrated part of that trade uh, for Beverly is it, it was a two-for-one, right? So you open a roster mm -hmm. spot. And yeah. that's probably something you don't have to decide on now or really anytime immediately. But if there's someone out there that still – you know, unsigned, possibly deserves a shot, can help you in some way. You have options now where uh, yeah. before you'd have to cut someone. And this also gives you another opportunity to do another consolidation trade where you trade one for two and get two guys mm -hmm. back and don't have to cut someone. Right. So there are yeah. positives there. The Beverly trade was a positive for the Lakers. Um, it just came at the end of a chain of bad asset management. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I would have liked to see Josh Jackson or Ken Bazemore get another look. They're both mm -hmm. on teams now. Uh, I don't have, I, I want to maybe for our next pod, if there still is no trade by then, maybe pitch you uh, a couple of the guys who are available okay. and we can see if any of them might make sense just as a flyer. Cool. Sounds good, man. Uh, that's kind of all I have for today. I just wanted to dig into this Pat Bab trade and what this team looks like as we we're only a couple weeks away, man. Training camp is going to start here real soon. We're like six weeks away from the NBA season starting. So, but. that's wild. Football just started. I know. <laughs> like it's it's nuts. Yeah, we're getting right back into it. Well, DM us a five star rating from your podcast player of choice, and we will send you the link to the Discord. Um, anything else you want to plug before we go, Tim? No, I think that's it for today. Uh, once this is out, I think our off-ball gravity metric will be out as well. So go check that out at People Index. We're continuing to add more tools, more metrics, cooler stuff. Um, so, so keep an eye out over there. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you later. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.